Hello and welcome to the Travelling Through podcast. I am your host Emma and each week I'm out and about chatting to Londoners and those who love, live and work in this big and glorious city. In this episode I catch up with Canon Giles Goddard. He's the vicar of St John's at Waterloo. He was a regular at the bookshop and we talk about the restoration underway at St John's as well as the Waterloo Festival, the challenges the church faces with gender identity how the church can support the homeless, and also the sense of serving the community and their relationship with God in the 21st century. These are Giles' thoughts on London, the world and life. Hello everybody, this is the Travelling Through podcast. It's a very windy Monday after Storm Eunice and I'm here with the vicar of St John's Waterloo, Giles Goddard. Hello, Giles. Hello, Emma. <laughs> did I get that right? Did I? Yes, you did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <I titled. laughs> you did. <laughs> um, we're just going to trial a bit to see how windy it is out here. But um, you've taken us into the gardens around St John's. Yeah. And this is under construction at the moment. Well, the garden itself isn't. No. But the church itself is under construction. Um, yeah or restorations we say yeah and why why have we got this restoration project well that's a big question um so it's wrapped in scaffolding at the moment isn't it so um it needed it really it needed a makeover yeah so we're spending five million pounds on it should we go this way yes Um, yeah so we're spending five million pounds on it um in order to kind of bring it up to a decent standard Mm -hmm. um so when i arrived which is 13 years ago now yes we didn't have disabled access, just so people with disabilities couldn't get into the crypt. And that kind of kicked off a wider conversation about how we could make sure the church really served the community okay. as it has been doing since it was built in 1824. Yes, I didn't realise it was as old as that. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah. there were, you had a bit of a re, there was a rebuild in 1951. Well, yes, because um, Hitler did a certain amount of damage. It was bombed <laughs> okay. in 1941. Yes. And at that stage it was being used should we go around there? Yes. Um, at that stage, it was being used as a air raid shelter. Mm-hmm. But luckily, everyone who was sheltering at the time when it was bombed survived. Yes. Uh, it was an incendiary bomb, so the roof burnt off and wow. the interior was all burnt. And it remained derelict until 1951. Yes. And then when the Festival of Britain was all being built, um, there's a story that the king came to see the site and said, well, where's the church? Where's the church for the Festival of Britain? Um, and so they decided at very short notice that they would refurbish it and renovate it okay. for the festival. So it was done and then it carried on serving as a church from then on. But as I say, when, by the time I arrived it was all a bit run down and shabby mm-hmm. and a bit sorry for itself. The crypt was turned into a homelessness day centre in the 1970s when the, what is now the IMAX, was Cardboard City. Okay, gosh, and this, I remember Cardboard City, yes, right. it was pretty awful It was, it place. was, yeah, and there were three or four hundred people who were staying there. Wow. And also this churchyard where we are now, was it was kind of tent city as well. Okay. Um, so the crypt became a day centre for homeless people. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that was closed at the end of the 20th century. Right. Um, and then... So yeah, it just needed a kind of complete makeover, really, um, yeah, yes. which we're now doing. Because I, I remember when you came into the bookshop, which is how I first met you, actually, yep. coming into the bookshop, um, and you were at the time, I think, host, what hosting, but there, there was a, a lot of 
homeless people who were sleeping in the church because you share this the responsibility for homeless to come and sleep in the church. Yeah. Um, is that right. something going forward that the church will offer as well? Yeah, it's something called the Robes Project, mm -hmm. which stands for rather higher than Bermondsey. Um, but different churches around this part of London take it in turns to open their doors uh, for a particular night during the winter. Okay. So we, obviously not during COVID, it was stopped during COVID, but now that hopefully we're coming out of that. Um, yes. And once we've reopened, which will be in the summer, um, we'll start again the homelessness night shelter with effect from November or December. Okay. Um, yeah. So that means that 25 people will come and sleep in the church and we'll give them dinner the night before and then breakfast in the morning. Right. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, there are a lot of homeless people in, in London and particularly Waterloo seems to attract quite a lot of homeless people yep. here and, and it's yep. a question of how to manage that in a way that they are looked after, yeah. um, protected, yeah. uh, particularly in the winter, in, in the, the cold weather, and, and also how, how to get people back on their feet again and, and uh, iron out maybe some of the issues that can be ironed out easily and be able to pass them on to the right yeah. authorities to help them otherwise. Is, is, is that something that the church can have a big part to play in? Definitely. I mean, um, one of the things that we've noticed is that people who are homeless often have multiple issues that need to be dealt with. You know, there, there can be uh, substance dependency, or there can be a relationship breakdown, or they kind of lost a job. So it's very often you need a, a number of different solutions. It's not just yes. a question of giving people a, a, a place in a hostel. Yeah, Often they yeah. need more than that. But lots of the frontline homelessness stuff in London comes from churches. Mm -hmm. um, so the Waterloo Day Centre, which is just down the road by the Old Vic, um, yes. that's run by something called London City Mission. St Martin the Fields is obviously very well known for its homeless work. It is, yes. Um, the passage next to Westminster Cathedral okay. um, does a huge amount. We do a little, uh, we don't do all that much kind of direct support for homeless people, partly because there are other places around that do that. But and the Rose Project is part of our response. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But we're also doing some work with people who have experience of homelessness. So we're working with an organisation called Accumulate, which mm -hmm. is a it's a kind of academy for people who've, who are graduating out, not graduating, but people who are escaping homelessness. And it right. works with them to kind of support them in their education. Okay. We, we work with them. And we're making a podcast as well about Cardboard City at the moment. So Oh, very interesting. So we're doing some this kind of thing with people who were living just over there yeah, in yes. the Bull Ring. Because that, um, that, was, that was a period of time for 20, 30 years, was yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, it was. It was a long time. And um, so the church will be coming up for its 200th anniversary in it a couple of will, years. Yes. <laughs> Have you I got do. something planned for that? Well, no, no. <laughs> well, no. At the moment, we're just trying to get the thing open again. So. <laughs> 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 we're not thinking about the 200th anniversary. <laughs> You've got to know the doors open before you <laughs> <Exactly>. can. <laughs> we have got the Archbishop coming in on the 26th of June, we hope, Archbishop Canterbury, to. Um, reopen the building so that's our target date at the moment yes. so the contractors are working very hard to be able to achieve that time scale okay fingers crossed yeah, yeah. yes it's always difficult to keep to 
one timetable, isn't it? Because you always come up against various issues when the building works start. I, having been in the industry for a long time, I, yeah. I understand how hard it is uh, on the builder side as well as the client mm -hmm. side. <laughs> I know, and we thought we'd done all the kind of necessary research, but we found some asbestos. There was one particular place that they found a bit of dust, asbestos dust left over from the 1950s. Mm -hmm. And that's costing us £170,000 to remove. Oh my goodness. Okay, which so works that's... out at about £10,000 per speck of dust. Wow, you've done that calculation. <laughs> I have. <laughs> um, did you get, um, I, I saw that you had uh, like a funding uh, project on the go, the ins was it? Yeah. Um, Reignite. Yes, that's, that's right. To yeah, try yeah, and get yeah, to, yeah. to re-spark people's interest in funding. Did that work really well? Did you get a, a good response? Well, we've raised from a number of different sources just over four million pounds, um, and the congregation of St John's wonderfully have put in about six hundred and fifty thousand collectively. Um, in different ways. Okay. So some people have been very generous and given six-figure sums. Others have given less, but you know they've they've given according to their means. Yes. And they're also making loans as well. So in fact, we've had over a million pounds worth of support from the congregation. Wow, which that's is fantastic. Really good. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, more than you expected. Yeah. Yes. Much yeah. more. Yeah. Yes. But also the mayor has given us seven hundred thousand. Lambeth have given us 800,000, which came from something called the Community Investment Levy, which is what developers give to the council mm -hmm. um, to kind of offset the effect of their developments. Okay. So most of that 800,000 came from the Shell Centre redevelopment, which is just over there, yes, that yes. we can see now. And as probably the podcast listeners can hear, there's a lot of yeah. trains going by, so because we're very yeah. close to Waterloo Station, and the, and the church itself is is a re, in a real hub, isn't yep. it? It's such so accessible because you're right at the the point of where Waterloo Bridge ends. Yeah, uh, you're at the station. You're you're almost an intersection itself, aren't you? We are. And yeah. as a result, you get a lot of people who are just travelling through the area, mm -hmm. as well as those who live in the area, people who work here, yeah. and everyone else in between. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's what I imagine makes your your congregation a very diverse and probably slightly um, an, an unusual mix because you never know who's going to turn yep. up. <laughs> I always say it's a kind of palimpsest of London really. Um, mm. So we have quite a lot of people as you know from the bookshop. Um, we have quite a lot of people living locally. Mm -hmm. I think there's about 8,000 people who live in the parish and the parish stretches from Westminster Bridge to Blackfriars Bridge and down to the Elephant Castle more or less okay. um, so and just so I think about half the congregation walk to church and the other half travel in but they are they're a pretty eclectic bunch really um, we're quite famous for being inclusive um, mm -hmm. so we have a kind of significant number of LGBTI plus people yes. um, we're also kind of known for doing climate work. So some people come to us because they like our work on the environment. Right. Um, and then some people like come to us because they just want to come to church. So that's a no really nice, reasons, so. interesting yeah. mix of spiritual, yeah. uh, ethically kind of aware, yeah. <laughs> and, and, um, and those who love the area as yeah. well, and those who yeah. are resident, and I those who love your sermons. Well, <laughs> when they're not too long. <laughs> Yeah. But Giles, how did you... Uh, Are you nice to see you. Um, how did you 
that's one of the one of the the trades, isn't it? You, you're always meeting people <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> How did you become a vicar? Because I I googled you and I saw that you did theology at university, um, but then went on to work to work at John Lewis. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, what influenced you initially to do theology? Well, I was angry with God, basically, and I thought I'd disproved the existence of God. Okay. <laughs> you weren't expecting that, were you? <laughs> no, I wasn't. Because <laughs> I'd sort of, I'd got involved with kind of evangelical Christianity when I was a teenager. Yes. Um, so through a church called Holy Trinity Brompton, which is, you might have heard of the Alpha Course. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were the people who kind of kicked off the Alpha Course. Um, although this was before then. You know, I, I got quite involved with a, a quite a kind of fervent Christianity at that time. Yeah. Um, but then I was also kind of wrestling with my sexuality at the time. Okay. Um, and it became apparent, to cut a long story short, that there didn't seem to be a place for gay Christians in okay. that kind of church. And Are we talking the six, 70s? 70s, yeah. yeah. Not the 60s. Sorry, I just aged you by 10 years. (laughs) We're talking late 70s. Okay. Um, uh, Yeah, and basically it seemed to me that there was a choice between God and love, really. Um, So I decided that I'd choose love. And so I went went to university to disprove the existence of God to my satisfaction. um, Right. Which I did, and I had three years at Cambridge. And then I needed to get a job, and John Lewis employed me as a graduate trainee yes. uh, for three and a half years. Mm-hmm. And I was living in London and kind of doing the London, the life of a London gay man um, okay. in the 1980s. So that was just kind of when AIDS was at its peak, AIDS yes. and HIV. Um, so it was a kind of interesting time, really. But I had a friend who I'd been to school with. Um, he was German, and his parents sent him to London because they were worried that he might become a radical terrorist in Germany. Really? So they sent him to an English public school <laughs> to kind of knock it out. As you do. Him, as you do. So he ended up living above a church in Soho called St Anne's, which is in Dean Street. Um, okay. And I kind of remember him saying to me in the late 80s, Giles, I think you should start coming to church again. I think we need to get out of this window. Should we go, should we go this here? way? Yes. yes. So yeah, no, I remember him saying to me, Charles, I think you should come to church. I think it might do you good. And I went to his church. This yeah. was when I was about 27, 28. And um, yeah, I liked it. And they were friendly and welcoming. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this is more like it. You know, this is, oh. this is the kind of Christianity that I think works. Um, and so I stayed. And it, it, it actually re-sparked your love for what? Love for yeah. religion or love for God again? Well, so far as I, I mean, I wasn't quite sure what God was. I'm, I'm not quite sure now, really. But, um, uh, but yes. it, 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 it kind of provided a place of welcome and a place of stability. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a kind of odd congregation. Um, it was a mixture of kind of eccentric old ladies and slightly lost young men and yes. people in between. Yes. Um, but it felt like somewhere which was would, was going to be nurturing and okay. enable me to kind of develop my my soul. Um, yeah, so it kind of felt like home in a way. Um, so you began your 
what do you call it? Sorry, I don't know the, <laughs> the terminology. Your, your priesthood or something? Yeah, priesthood works, yeah. yeah. Um, um, in, in Woolworth? Yes, that's right, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I did a curacy. I was a sort of junior trainee in North Dulwich between Camberwell and Dulwich. Yes. Um, but my, my first proper job was, yeah, St Peter's Woolworth, mm -hmm. which is just south of East Street Market. Right. Oh, yes. Great right. place. Yeah. Yes. Very vibrant. <laughs> yeah, and very yeah, mixed, wonderful. diverse community there as well. Yeah. No, it was fantastic. Um, the church was, again, it was also built in 1824. It was built by John Soane. Mm -hmm. And it was on the Aylesbury estate, which is one of those big estates. I mean, it's not so much now because some of it's been regenerated. But, right. um, and it was quite a significant, there was quite a significant Nigerian population there. Mm -hmm. So the church there was about half Nigerian. And then the other half was kind of miscellaneous London, right. Londoners. Um, so that was a lovely place. I really enjoyed it. It was great. It was, it was terrific. I mean, because was, it was very obvious what needed doing and you just kind of got on and did it. Because right. um, it was quite a poor area and there was a great need for justice mm -hmm. and kind of supporting people. And we did a big renovation project there as well and turned the crypt into something called Inspire. Right. Um, so that was my kind of model for this one. Really. Okay. Uh, and the, the Inspire model, as yeah. it were, is, is about equality. Yeah. Uh, inclusion. Inclusion. Justice. Yeah. Social engagement. Yes. Transformation. You know, all those kind of big words. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And did the congregation or the community at large embrace this idea and, and feel that it was a good thing? Did you change people's perceptions? Well. I think people feel like, insofar as they think about the church, which they don't much now, um, but insofar as they do, I think there's an expectation that the church will support people locally. Yes. Um, so I think if you go along and say to them, you know, we want to make the building more supportive and more open, and, you know, we want to kind of make sure that we're providing good community engagement projects, you know, people are generally in favour of that. Um, and I think, I think people kind of trust that you know, they, you have to be, you know, the Church of England isn't perfect by any means and it's mm -hmm. made some terrible mistakes in many ways over many years. But I think there's a sense of local engagement which people welcome. Yes, yes. By and large. But you do have to prove yourself. So, if you, well, it took me about 10 years to raise the money for this project here. Right. Wow, um, I didn't realise. Yeah. yeah. So staying power, Giles. staying power, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> um, and also kind of people trusting that you are actually going to do what you say you're going to do. Yeah. So we do a lot of kind of employment support work and the homelessness work we've talked about, and we run an arts festival and all sorts of other things. Yes. and then people gradually think, okay, yeah, this does make sense. Yeah, yeah, yes, they actually. They buy into your vision yeah. of, what, of, yeah. what they, of what you're bringing to the community as well. Yeah, absolutely. And the whole idea of the Waterloo Festival, which is another, uh, I mean, it's a huge thing now, isn't it? And it's something yeah. that you, we engaged, the Travelling Through engaged absolutely. with you yeah. on, on one occasion yeah. uh, before we closed. Yeah. Um, but, but since, which was 2018, so yeah. that's a few years ago now, but since Jeez. then it's really, it seems to have flourished. It has. We have a very, very um, dynamic young artistic director called Yuka Gravina, who's really um, picked it up and 
taken it to new places. I mean, yeah. we had to go online for the first year of lockdown. Yes. Last year it was hybrid. This year it'll, co it'll coincide with the reopening. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it's meant to be a kind of combination of kind of celebrating local talent and doing, you know, interesting artistic work. So I've mentioned Accumulate, which mm -hmm. is this homelessness academy. Yes. So one of the things they're planning to do is create utopia in the church. So they're working with ex-homeless people to build a structure which will symbolize utopia, utopia for them. But we also work with kind of, you know, high-end international artists as well. Um, and we try to bring them all together. Yes, yeah, a real mix of yeah. integrating all different kind of talents yeah. and ideas. Yep. Okay. Sorry. I guess one of the other things is that you know the church isn't just me, it's the other people who come and lots of them are very engaged locally yes, as well. Yeah. So you know this whole kind of gearing thing. Um, Definitely. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's again anything that's successful yeah. is, is never based on one person, it's based on the community yeah. and, and the engagement of everybody yeah. within it and again seeing this vision and yeah. wanting to play a part in it. Very much so. Um, and have you found that very much flourish under under your direction or under your vision as you, as you've been here for nine, ten years? Thirteen years. Thirteen years. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. you became a vicar in two thousand and fourteen. In fact, the year that the bookshop opened. Yes, so. but actually, that was I was priest in charge for five years beforehand. Okay. So I had been here already, but for various reasons to boring to go into. Um, my job title changed after okay. five years. So I actually got here in 2009. Okay. It always yeah. seems funny saying a job title and it's changed to the church. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> my JD yeah. was revised. <laughs> yeah. But I suppose that's the, that is the thing, isn't it? I was just saying before we came onto this podcast that uh, yeah. there's a fine line between playing the role of serving God yeah. and the church yeah. and actually running a business. Yeah, there is. And it's a complicated thing because you have to run the business, you know, well and make sure that all the people who are working for you are properly treated. Yes. Um, you know, if we're going to be able to do the sorts of projects that we want to do, we have to employ people who are, you know, very able. Yeah. So that's quite expensive because you have to pay them properly. So our turnover is, well, we've got 12 part-time they're all part-time but 12 staff the turnover is about 700,000 a year which is quite a lot yes. for a small business um, and that mostly comes from rental income um, okay. or from letting the church so it's a kind of yeah no it is it's complex really yes and uh, during this period when the church is effectively closed while there are restorations going yep. on and previous to that or did the restoration coincide with when COVID and lockdowns began? So, uh, well, we, we had to put it off for a year because okay. so COVID kind of meant that our programme got kiboshed. And we also had to um, take a million pounds off the cost because we realised we weren't going to be able to raise as much money as we'd hoped we would be able to. Yes. So we had to make some changes to the design. Okay. Um, but we also got some... Should we go along there and then yeah. down that way? Amazing. Uh, I've never seen this angle of the shard the from shard. here. 
There's a blood, if you stand over at Waterloo Station, you could, you've got our church steeple and then you've got the shard just behind oh it. And they're the same sort of shape. Yes. So yes. They, they kind of mirror each other. Oh, wow. The temple of. Maybe that's where. Uh, I've forgotten who. The, it's the Italian architect, isn't it? Yeah, Renzo Piano. Piazzit, yes. He, maybe he got to get his inspiration from your spire. We might have done, I suppose. <laughs> Should ask him. Perhaps I need a podcast chat with him. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you, though. You were in full flow. I can't remember what I was uh, saying. We were talking about um, uh, the business and you had to cut a million off the... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had to make various changes. Um, oh, one of the sad things was that we were hoping to put an air source heat pump in to um, heat the church, but it was going to cost nearly half a million pounds to put that in because we would have had to have put underfloor heating in yes. and it was all going to be too expensive. So we dropped that and we were going to have a very beautiful staircase which was also going to cost half a million pounds okay. but we decided that was too much to spend on the staircase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well at least you Should went for that. some of the kind of um, aesthetic things, well not the air, air source heat pump because yeah. obviously that being part of your whole mantra for yeah. towards the climate and, and, yeah. and your your aim to be a a gold star eco church absolutely is that yeah, still yeah. going to going to be able to be a, yes it is yeah 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 because we're doing lots of other things so we've just put solar panels on the roof mm -hmm. um, and i'm told that they're going to produce enough energy to power eight homes which i think is quite good oh my goodness roof. yes yeah. yeah although obviously most of the electricity will be going into the church but anything left over will go back into the grid yeah um, and we've done lots of other things. We've put lots of passive measures in around kind of insulation and draft exclusion and you know all those kind of simple ways of making the building more efficient. Yeah. Um, and this whole idea of the eco church is, is yeah. this a new concept that that is uh, being trailblazed by by the synod or by yourself or? Yeah. I mean, I've been involved in climate stuff for ten or fifteen years, mm -hmm. um, environmental stuff. Partly because I was kind of challenged by a young member of the congregation who, when we took money from Shell for our festival about soon after I arrived in 2010 or 9, um, she said, why are you taking money from Shell? And uh, because obviously... The big bad She boys. started <laughs> raising the, you know, that was the beginning of the kind of real awareness of climate change and stuff. Yeah. And so that kind of made me think a bit more about the kind of stuff that we're doing. Yes, um, yes. So since then I've been quite involved and I've been on the General Synod and I've put motions through Synod about climate. And I think that has helped a bit to kind of raise awareness within yes. the Church of England. But now, I mean, it really, it came a bit late to the party, but now there's a whole, I mean, there's lots and lots of people doing lots and the whole eco-church thing has caught the imagination of lots of people. Okay. And there's a real sense that, you know, this is urgent. Um, yes, yes. And everybody has a part to play yeah, yeah. In, in, in whichever or whatever way they can. Yeah, yes. yeah absolutely. If anything, it just raises awareness of what can you do that might yes. not cost a lot to do, but will make a big yeah. difference. Yeah, yeah. So, shall we walk along and yeah, we'll on this yeah. one? Or yeah. we'll yeah. Cut? I'm just trying to avoid the wind. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. And you can make a big difference, really. Um, yes. And, you know, we've got 25,000, no, we've got, I think we've got 15,000 churches and 25,000 other buildings. My so goodness, right, that's across a lot, isn't it? So, you know, that's a, can make a significant difference. Of course, yeah, yeah. yes. And um, you were very much involved with 
COP26 and bringing people yeah. together to sign a petition. And how successful was that? Well, it was more than just sign a petition. I was, we set up something called Make COP Count, which was a kind of collect, it was a network of faith-based organisations working towards COP. Yes. So it was all the kind of big NGOs like Christian Aid and um, Islamic Relief, mm-hmm. and then some of the much smaller faith-based climate organisations like Hindu Climate Action and EcoSeek um, and everyone in between. Yes. Um, and we kind of, we coordinated, or we helped to coordinate the faith presence at COP26 in Glasgow, so we all went up. Oh, did you? Oh, We fantastic. had lots of kind of, you know, panel discussions. And, yes. And we went on the march and, you know, we demonstrated outside the blue zone and yes. we also signed petitions and letters and stuff and it was generally just trying to make the connection between climate and justice mm-hmm. so we were really focusing on climate justice and the fact that the poorest in the world are the people who suffer disproportionately right. as a result of the actions of rich countries um, yes. and that you know one of the it's not just a kind of practical thing that we have to reverse climate change but it's also an ethical thing as well it's a moral you know there's a moral dimension to it yes and was there much of a reaction to what you were trying to get across i mean we we engaged with government quite a lot Mm because that's one of the because the church movement is has this kind of historic presence um we have relatively good access to government so we you know we work quite closely with them and I think uh, we've been told that the words of one or two of the communiques were changed as a result of the kind of pressure which we've put on. Oh, good. I mean whether it's going to turn into real action or not you know that's the question and yes yes I don't hold out much hope <laughs> at the moment for this yes. government but you never know things can change. I know you just <laughs> I mean it's it's small steps isn't it? Yeah. You would prefer them to be large leaps, but uh, yep. we can only somehow expect small steps, certainly at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this leads on, you, you mentioned about your engagement, particularly with the, the Muslim community. Yeah. And you're very much, because of your spouse, yep. Shannon, yep. who's from Malaysia, yep. and uh, he's a Muslim. Yep. And is that what's very much influenced your engagement with the Muslim community obviously it was anyway because London has a big Muslim community here was that already fired in your belly or was it meeting Shannon create more of a fire (laughs) (laughs) it was probably a bit of both three I mean I was because of where we are we're clearly at the kind of spearhead of some of these kind of issues Um, and I got in a lot of trouble a, a few years ago for hosting a Muslim prayer service in the church. Um, I did but, hear about yeah, it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and it was a shame really because it was taken, it was picked up by some very conservative Christians and they were used it as a way to kind of attack me and the bishop. Um, so, and that sort of predated Shannon, I think, or was about the same time. Yes. But obviously, because of our relationship, then I've become kind of more passionate about it, yeah. Yes, yes. Do you think because of what happened in, in the church and, yeah. and the reaction, sometimes negative news can actually turn and be, become a positive, have yeah. a positive outcome? Did, did that have a positive outcome, do you think? I think it, yes, in a funny sort of way it did, I think. Um, certainly the local church was absolutely, was 100% supportive of 
Yes. I mean, we weren't even trying to. We weren't even trying to make a statement. We were just trying to give them a home because they needed somewhere to pray. Um, yes. And because their main speaker was a woman, they couldn't go to a mosque because she was also leading the prayers. Right. So it was like we were just kind of offering somewhere. And I think partly through that and various other things, we set up this thing called Faith for the Climate, which is this very deliberate interfaith climate organisation. And it also made me a bit more determined, as you say, it put fire in my belly. Yes. Um, so all in all, I think it was, yeah, you know, you learn from these things and then you try and build on them, don't definitely, you? Definitely, definitely. I mean, particularly with, with London being such, such a great mix of community and different faiths, yeah. all living sort of side by side, yeah. cheek by jowl, as it yeah. were. Yeah. I mean, to have a building that can be, have, have many functions, as yeah. it were, even, yeah. even though it, it's consecrated as under Church of England, yeah. are people's perceptions and how they view other religions yeah. and how, in fact, that interaction between different faiths, yeah. how they bond or, or the differences and yet, yet the similarities yeah. mean that buildings are going to be used going forward in different ways or more flexible ways. I mean, I really hope so. I mean, anything that you can do to break down the misinformation, particularly about Islam at the moment, um, yes. But not only Islam, I, mean, I think there's a deep misunderstanding about lots of other religious traditions. So anything you can do just to kind of build relationships and build friendships. It's certainly right at the heart of our kind of mission at St John's. Um, the whole project is very much about all of London. You know, we're, we're trying to be there for everyone. Yes. Our, our catchphrase is here for you, okay. whoever you are. Um, and we've set up this separate organisation called the Bridget Waterloo which mm -hmm. is our community engagement wing, um, which is deliberately independent and it's deliberately secular. Um, right. So that, you know, we can, we can, yeah, try and kind of meet the needs and support people yes. from across the spectrum. Really. Yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, and that's very important for people in the community, knowing that they have a safe place, perhaps yeah. somewhere to come and talk yeah. to people and just, just, uh, have a bit of break from whatever it is that they're, they're suffering from. And it's about building friendship, you know, it's about building relationships and part of the plan of what we're trying to do is that we can work with people over a number of years in different ways. So some of the projects that we want to do around arts and employment and education and counselling and therapy and well-being and things, the idea is that people might be able to move from one to the next so okay. that they can gradually kind of, you know, transform the way their, their, their prospects really. Yes. So that's yes. the hope. Okay. Yeah. And um, how are you managing to fund that or how do you think it will be funded? Is it through through uh, charity donations or through the congregation or through private enterprise or <laughs> mix of? <laughs> All of the above. All of the above. All Anything. The above. I mean, hopefully the renovation will be so beautiful and it made the building so wonderful that we can charge big companies lots of money to come and have their corporate events there. Yes, yes. Although we'll have to be careful about which big companies. Yes, um, so, yes. That's... So that's always, you know, again, you get opened up to accusations of hypocrisy if you go for the wrong company. Yes. Company. But then, I mean, lots of companies want to do that kind of thing because it, it's good for their corporate social responsibility. Um, so they, they like coming to this kind of venue because yes. it helps them. So, you know, there's income from that, but there's also trusts and foundations and individual donations. And we'll scrape it all together somehow. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, there's a, so we're here, we're just walking past the Old Vic, which yeah. is obviously into art and theatre. And, and uh, is there, a, is there a, an interrelationship between yourselves and, and the Old Vic as yet? There is. I mean, we talk to each other. Um, they've got their own very effective community engagement thing. Um, they do some fantastic work, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, so we support that insofar as we can. Yes. But we haven't, we haven't formally gone into a partnership with them, although you never know what might happen. <laughs> we had a good meeting with the LPO this morning. Um, the London, so we, for, London the for the Monarch Orchestra, Orchestra yeah. yes. um, about a potential project that we might be doing with them okay. later in the year, which wow. should be fun. Yes. Wow, to have a whole orchestra. Yeah, absolutely. Or even part of the orchestra. Yeah, no, very much so. <laughs> yes. So there's, yeah. there's a lot of exciting things ahead. Yes. With the vision of yes. being able to use the space in a, which, which was quite confined or restricted in what you could do previously, yeah. is the restoration is opening it up to be a much more flexible space yeah. to use in many different ways. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, was that your vision? Well, it was really, yeah. Um, because I think if you're given you're really charge of these places, you have to make sure that they're as good as they can possibly be for everyone. And also as beautiful as they can possibly be. I'm yes. very I mean, you know, it's nice. There's no reason why people who are poor should have to go to places which aren't beautiful. Yeah. Um, so we're working with one of the best architects in the country, who's yeah. called Eric Parry, who okay. did yes. St. Martin in the Fields. Yes. Um, and we've always had at the heart of the vision has been the desire to create somewhere that lifts the heart and lifts, yeah. the, lifts the soul for everybody. So, yes. so yeah, no, that was my vision, yeah, to have something which is accessible for everyone. Yeah. And I love that idea of um, the Rennie McIntosh ideal where function meets beauty, yeah. then it's a winner. Yeah, yeah so absolutely. That's your, your aim. <laughs> yeah, I think it is, and I think it's going to work. I keep looking at the pictures and think, yeah, no, this is... And every time I go in, you know, now at the moment, because it's all, it's changing by the week at the moment, so... And you think, ah, oh, wow, it's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think when yeah. everything's being torn apart and you're, you're thinking, I can't see where this is going, it's yeah. just, just a building site. That's but right. Within this, you actually have a very special mural on the wall. Oh, we do, yes. Which yeah. is um, yeah. Hans... Feibusch. Feibusch, yeah. Very interesting a Jewish yeah. man coming to yeah. the, the UK and then converting to, to Christianity. The church, to Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then reconverting in his later years That's back right. to Judaism. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, created a lot of murals for many churches yep. across London. Yeah. And I was totally unaware of this. And you are very privileged, I think, to have one of those pieces. And we are. No, it's a good. It's a good story, really. So he came over in the early 1930s, um, and he befriended Bishop Bell of Chichester, who was in a great great good thing back then who was one of those people who really spoke out he was an early person who spoke out against the Nazis and he was very involved during the war in making sure that people were aware of what was happening um, and he also offered a lot of support to Jewish refugees um, so one of them was Hans Feibusch mm -hmm. and I think through Bishop Bell he began to create murals in in England um, right. He was a very highly trained artist in Germany. Um, he spent some time in Florence and Siena and things. And he was also included, the, the, the Nazis had an exhibition of degenerate art yes. in the 1930s. And he was in that before he left. Sort of a signal for yeah. him to say, right, I've got yeah. to get out. Yes. Yeah. 
So thankfully he, he did get out and yes. so he lived to tell the tale and yeah. he made lots of murals actually not just in London but around the south of England. Okay. Um, and he got, yeah, his, he, I think he made his living from painting murals for churches. But the one that we have was made specifically for the Festival of Britain. And okay. it's an odd one because it's a pretty miserable crucifixion actually. Um, mm. So there is, it's not, you know, sometimes you get uplifting murals, but this is not, this is Jesus and it's clearly, he's clearly in pain and he's clearly dying. Yeah. Um, which I've always thought was kind of odd as a, something for the Festival of Britain to choose that as a theme. But as I've lived with it more, you know, I think it was good to recognise that the festival came out of, you know, immense tragic suffering and loss of life. Um, yeah. And, you know, the Christian story is about tragic suffering and loss of life. Yes, and, yes. But it's also about resurrection. So in a way, kind of creating that picture was a symbol of the resurrection. Um, Interesting, and you hadn't really made that connection, but it's, it's sometimes you, when you want to like something as well, yeah. you've got to try and find your own connection to it yeah. so that you can, you can accept it almost. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Just like yeah. people. <laughs> Just like people, yes. Um, talking of, of people, I mean, the whole gender issue at the moment is getting more and more complicated in yep. many ways. Yep. Um, how do you view this as a vicar of St John's yeah. and being gay your, yourself in amongst this uh, sort of huge debate? And yeah. Where do you see the church going with it? Where do you see yourself? Do, do you, is there conflict between sometimes between what you think and... <laughs> Sorry, big question. Well, <laughs> I'm not quite sure what I'm asking either. No, no, really, you're quite... I mean, you know, I've been... Yeah, I mean, the Church of England is a conservative institution because, you know, institution, I mean, kind of big, big religious institutions tend to be conservative. They tend to move at the speed of the slowest traveller or the slowest member. Should we go through Leek Street? Yes, let's do that. We've um, just been down for the, for the podcast, this is down Lower Marsh. It looks very sad and quiet and empty, doesn't it? And there's not nearly enough bookshops. No, in it. there's no bookshops in it no. now. It's a shame. Really. Too close in the street. Yeah. The one at that end was the transport. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, <sighs> so there we are. Yeah. No. So the church building is, is, by its nature, quite conservative. I mean, women have only been allowed to be priests for about, I think it's 25 years or something, and yes. bishops for even less, um, 10 years. Oh, look, I think there's lots of noise. But we'll be It'll right. be fine. Let's go okay. through it. We can always stop if it gets too right. close. So I've been involved in those conversations ever since before I was ordained. So I've been pushing for the church to be more inclusive. Yeah. In fact, I was chair of something called Inclusive Church for about getting on for 10 years. Um, okay, maybe we should just stop and just okay. explain to yeah. So we're walking through the very eclectic, uh, very unusual Leak Street, which is full of graffiti artists, and it's always changing. Yeah. Always the smell of uh, from aerosol cans. Yeah. It's great, Music. isn't it? Very expressive place. Okay, so yeah, so... So yeah, so the church building is naturally conservative, but it's also included, you know, for institutions to survive, they have to regenerate themselves. Of course, um, yes. So there's always been a kind of you know, there's always been that dynamic, whether it was about sexuality or about gender or, you know, other things, justice. Um, there's always been pressure from within to change as well as pressure from outside. Yes. So I've been putting the pressure on for a long time. And at one point, one of the things we did was 
I mean, the House of Bishops blessed them. Um, you know, in some ways they've been trying and in some ways they haven't, but they produced a report about five or six years ago, which was kind of supposed to help us move forward. And I was on General Synod at the time, and, you know, we decided it just wasn't, it wasn't, it was a hopeless document, really. So we managed to get Synod to throw it out. Okay. And as a result... In what, in what sense it did, hadn't really addressed any of the issues? Yeah, it hadn't just really. too wishy-washy? Yeah. Well, it was sort of saying, it was just after the gay marriage, you know, same sex equal marriage came in. Yes. Um, and it just didn't, it just, it just didn't go anywhere. I mean, it was pathetic, really, <laughs> to be honest. So, I love point. your honesty, Giles. <laughs> this is what we need. <laughs> I mean, I know the people who wrote it, and they did their best, but they were kind of, you know, they were stuck, really. They were caught between a rock and a hard place. Um, right. They were trying to so, please everybody and pleasing no one yeah, in, as a result. And, you know, they, yeah. So we managed to get Synod to throw that out. And as a result, the Archbishop set up a, a new, it was a kind of commission, really. And it ended up being called Living in Love and Faith. It provided a resource to improve the way that we talk to each other okay. within the church, because I think there was a lot of people who didn't really understand about the kind of questions of gender and sexuality. And there wasn't anything within our kind of documents which provided a base for people to talk properly and okay. well. Yes. And I was brought on to the coordinating group for that. Right. So I spent a lot of the last few years kind of developing this thing called Living in Love and Faith. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's been well received. It hasn't necessarily led to any change yet, but I think it's enabled us to have better conversations and for people to understand, you know, the complexities around gender and sexuality, which are great. I mean. Yes. You know, and at St John's we have, as I say, we have a wide range of people, including trans people and lesbians and gay men. And, you know, you can see members of the congregation kind of struggling to understand pronouns. And if you've got somebody whose preferred pronoun is they, mm. there's people who... Well, it took me a while to work out, you know, yes. the use of language. So. And you know, it seems to be changing yeah. quite a lot at the moment. Yeah. It's very hard to keep up with what is the most up-to-date sort of PC way yeah. as well. And oh, without off offending, and it actually some, for some people, I think it stops people wanting to have that conversation because they become too yeah. frightened that by having a conversation, they're going to offend somebody yeah. in the process. So they don't even engage. Yes. But I think, maybe that's just my perception. I think that's, I mean, we try and respond to what people want. So we're just trying to make sure that, you know, if there's, there is a preferred pronoun, then that's the one which is used. Yes, um, yes. And they kind of have an openness in a conversation so that people aren't frightened. Because um, I think it's long overdue. I think this whole thing about gender, you know, binary gender is, shall I show you that picture? Yes. <laughs> I remember when I was very involved in kind of lesbian and gay activism kind of 30 years ago thinking that we would move on from that to questions of gender mm -hmm. um, and whether the kind of binary definitions of gender are really functional now and I think in a way they're not okay. um, so I think this is an important conversation that has to be had yeah yes um, but it's not easy and it's not easy because it, it's so tied up with people's identity isn't it I mean whether it's as a, a man or as a woman or as non-binary yeah um, and is it the case that just more and more people um, of of different yeah. uh, of different gender and wh yeah. whatever they consider themselves yeah. to be come yeah. forward and say, well, 
I'm this because I feel this. Yeah. Until everybody starts coming together, it's very difficult to understand the complexity. And, and it's definitely a generational thing, isn't it? I mean, I think it seems to be more frequent amongst people in their teens and twenties. Yes. Um, like my godson now has a brother um, who used to be his sister. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah. Yes. And school that must be really hard. But I think it's interesting because I think maybe if I'd had those sorts of options when I was at school, you know, I might have felt a bit freer. Yeah. Um, because yeah. we were so much kind of being presented with a particular way of being male. And were you brought up in London? No, in Sussex. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's more conservative environment. Yeah. And I was at boarding school, but I think even, you know, whichever school I would have been at, there's always that sense of, you know, being a boy, being a teenager, you yeah. know, it's very... Yes. I think, in some ways, I think there's, there's certainly more freedom in that generation now than we had. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is a good thing. It but is. It's complicated. Definitely. Anyway, look, there's me. There we are. <laughs> One of the pillars of the community. Community, I know, it's funny. Oh, your canon Giles got a... Yeah. Because you are a honorary canon of... Southwark Cathedral. That's that right, yes. yeah. yeah. And that came about, uh, how does that come about? Um, that... Well, it's an honour, really. I mean, it's like the cathedral has a number of people who are kind of attached to it, who are loosely connected to the governing body, but yes. it's often people who've, who've made a contribution in a different way to the diocese. So okay. and you kind of get invited to be a canon. Um, okay. And I think I was invited partly because I was, because they were being a bit, they just wanted someone who's a, a little bit radical in those <laughs> days. <laughs> I mean, this was about Just 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. yeah, and I think the then Dean, who was a man called Colin Slee, um, wanted to kind of make a point. So, so he brought me in okay. as a kind of symbol. And, <laughs> and have you ha has that opened your eyes to things that you wouldn't necessarily have access to otherwise? Not so much, because I've been involved in all this stuff in all sorts of different ways. So yes. I, I kind of know the ins and outs of the church feeling quite well. But it's been quite helpful, because, you know, we're a hierarchical institution and having being canon kind of sometimes gets you listened to a little bit more. Okay. So it's sort of using the levers of power right. to try and make a difference, you know. Yes, yeah, yes. It's all very, um, you know, Trollope, really, and it's still the truth. <laughs> it's it's still, the it? it's still <laughs> true. I love that. <laughs> um, sorry, Joseph. Sorry, no, um, okay. Your closeness, proximity to Lambeth Palace. Yeah. Um, you're, you're in a, basically your the Archbishop is your neighbour. Yes. Um, are you on neighbourly terms with the Archbishop? Yes, you we pop are. Around to each other for a cup of tea. Not very often. He made me porridge once for breakfast, <laughs> which was nice. <laughs> but we don't. <laughs> pop around all that much. Every parish has a patron and in the old days it was usually the Lord of the Manor who right. was the patron. In this case because there wasn't a manor here before when the parish was set up the Archbishop was made the patron. Okay. So he every time he sees me he reminds me that he's my patron. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh yeah, all right. <laughs> so and as I said at the beginning he's coming to re reopen the church in yes, June. Yes, that's know, fantastic. So, um, yeah. Um, and did he marry you? Oh, no. Um, no. <laughs> no, no. And Shannon, <laughs> what happens in that situation where, yeah. where you're getting married? Who, who do you... Well, we you... actually didn't get married because oh, okay. that was when I was in the middle of living in love and faith, which was this big, you know, um, 
Church of England initiative around sexuality and gender that yes. I mentioned. And I thought if I got married there would have been a big row. Yes. And that wouldn't have helped LLF and it wouldn't have helped me and Shannon. Yes. So we did a civil partnership instead. Because okay. the C of E, being the C of E, there's never a black and white line, it's always grey. So yes. they sort of, because civil partnerships are not technically about sex, the C of E decided it couldn't object to them in the end. It took okay. a while to come round. But yes. So clergy are now allowed to go into civil partnerships, but they're not allowed to go into marriages. Okay. So, I mean, in due course, we will change it, but it was just one of those things where we took the decision that... So it's the first step towards yeah, yeah. acceptance yeah. of the change yeah. and change. Yeah. Was there a reason you went into the Church of England rather than any other, like the Catholic faith or the Anglican or yeah. the Greek Orthodox? Or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I've wondered about that. I think, I mean, the Dalai Lama, you know, he was asked the question about what faith tradition people should follow. And his answer was always, you know, if you find a place within your own faith tradition, stick with that um, and get to know that well. And, you know, only change traditions if, if you're really not being nurtured by what you found. And I suppose, I mean, I was brought up Church of England and when I was a kid, we used to go to the local village church and stuff. So that was what I knew. Yes, um, it's what you were comfortable yeah. with. Yeah. And as I say, when I came way. back, you know, the, I had this slightly difficult time with Holy Street to Brompton, but when I came back later on, you know, it was to somewhere which just kind of fitted really. Yeah. So. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier, it's puzzled me slightly, isn't it? Um, or not puzzled me, it surprised me, I suppose, yeah. is that you're not quite sure, you said you're not quite sure what or who God is. Um, that's quite a statement, isn't it? <laughs> for, for those who are trying to portray the image that, that and, and speaking the word yeah. of God, as it yeah. were. So, how are you? How are you processing this? How, how are you? Are, are you using your congregation? Not using. Are you feeling that alongside your congregation, together, yeah. we are trying to work this out, or do you find that some of your congregation already are very clear what they believe God is? No, I think they're not. I think um, you know there are different ways of approaching it, and. I mean, God is by definition beyond definition. Yes. Um, you know, which is, sounds a bit clever, too clever by half, but it's true. So none of us can know what God is because God is way beyond anything that we can put into words. And there's a strong tradition of theology, which is called the apophatic tradition, which says that you can only say what God is not and okay. not what God is. Because anything you say, if you say God is good, you know, goodness is just way beyond that. Right. I mean, the, the, the nature of God is just way beyond kind of questions of right and wrong really. I mean at the heart of it all, you know, is love and the phrase that I always end up using is God is love and those who live in love live in God and God lives in them. Um, right. Because then, so, and you have to kind of fall back before the mystery. Uh, there's a great tradition of Christian mystics, people like Mother Julian. Yes. Um, Mother Julian of Norwich and people who've had kind of mystical experiences who are, who are kind of rendered speechless by God and by the nature of it all. And in a sense, I'm in that situation where you can't talk it, you can just try and live it. Yes. You can just try and be it. Do you think because that's how you feel about it, yeah. it's easier to embrace other cultural beliefs yeah. in a way that some cannot and almost become fanatically one thing or another for fear of losing their faith otherwise? Yeah, I mean, fear is such a key word, isn't it? Yes. Um, 
I mean, within all the traditions, you know, there's that kind of, I mean, that's the great thing about getting to know Islam better and Hinduism and obviously Buddhism. Um, there's a sense that you, know, you, you, you reach the same kind of place yes. of not being able to speak about God and in the end it becomes mystical. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, within every tradition and every, it's like politics, isn't it? Every political party, um, you get the extremists and the people who just are afraid to engage. Yes. Because of their identity, yeah. really, their sense of who they are, and they can't bear. Yeah, it feels frightening, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. You, you know. yes sure. And yeah, a lot of my struggles, you know, less so now because I've sort of opted out a bit um, to focus on here. But certainly in the past, when I was involved much more in church politics, it was very much with the people for whom a particular kind of Christianity was the only kind, mm -hmm. um, which is a bit sad, really. Yeah. Do you wear um, a dog collar all the time? I do. You I'm not do? wearing it now. I think I've taken it off. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I do, yeah. Yes. yeah. I mean, visibility helps, really. Yes, yeah. And people approach you in a... Do they approach you in a different way, do you find, when you are wearing a dog collar? I shouldn't yeah. call it a dog collar. Dog. Yeah, you can, yeah. What clerical do you call it? Dog collar, whatever. Yeah. What is it called? Um, it's the official word. It's called... I don't know. Clerical collar, I think, clerical is the official collar, word. Yes. Yeah. Um, they do. I mean, they're quite... Yeah, they do. I mean, it gives you a bit more kind of permission to speak. Mm -hmm. But again, you have to be really careful because you can't assume, especially yes. not in the 21st century where the church is pretty marginal, really, and particularly people under, you know, 40 or 50. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, a different world, it really. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. And actually now there's, this, there's such a rise of um, feeling of just spiritualism rather yeah. than wanting to say they're one belief or another the it's a very hard road that the church has to yeah. lead and uh, embracing it in a way where you're just trying to draw the community together together mm. i think is such a it's a good starting point because as you said it's you, you're, yeah. you're embracing that whole idea that god is love and love is god and I think, I think it's something, for me, it's something about being human. I mean, that's why I kind of care about it. Because, um, you know, once you engage with the spirit, it's, with the spiritual, you know, it makes, it enables you to kind of reach a sense of, the word I use is bigness. Um, bigness. Bigness, yeah. <laughs> bigness. The mysterious bigness. It takes you to another place somehow, and I think it deepens our sense of who we are as human beings. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And that's why I think religion is important, and that's why it's been around since, you know, since we first started communicating using language, and possibly before, mm -hmm. is because we do have this kind of need to go beyond ourselves. Um, and we can, we can do it. And yes. religion at its best enables people to do that. Okay. Well, Giles, I think we should stop at that point. It's a lovely, <laughs> lovely moment to stop. And we've just walked full circle. Oh, there goes a rat. rat. <laughs> We're in oh, London. Oh, it doesn't just got frightened by us. I'm not going inside, inside that construction work. Um, so we ended up back at the church and um, we've had a lovely conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk on the Travelling Through podcast. Um, and I hope the rest of the restoration works go well and we can come back and talk again in the future. Absolutely. Um, to all you podcast listeners out there, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast chat that I've had with, with the vicar, Giles Goddard. And if you have, do share with your friends. Please 
do subscribe to the Travelling Through Podcast and please leave a review because the more we get reviews, the more guests like Giles can be heard to a wider audience. I hope in the meantime that you enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back again next week. But for now, take care and thanks for listening. Thank you.